0: Good mornings, I'm Chris Oaks, and coming up today, the inside scoop on all the latest Google goodies from the company's virtual IO Developers Conference this week. Also this morning, as working, shopping, and learning continues the rapid transition to the online universe, is digital accessibility for individuals with special needs getting enough consideration? In our Throwback Thursday segment this morning, research shows students can lose a month or more of learning progress between academic years. It's always a problem, but especially post-pandemic, we have strategies for preventing that summer slide. And if you really want to make a difference in people's lives, the Red Cross is recruiting volunteers for emergency response in the community. We have details. This is the Good Mornings Podcast Edition for Thursday, May 20th, 2021. Today is Be a Millionaire Day. Oh, if it were only, only that easy. <laughs> and just be a millionaire. I'll just say it and snap my fingers and let it be so. It is Brown Baguette Thursday. For those of us who aren't millionaires, <laughs> can't afford uh, to eat out uh, every uh, every day at lunch. It is Brown Baguette Thursday. Flower Day today. It is Hummus Day. Maybe brown bag some hummus. And there you... Uh, and some strawberries. Pick Strawberries Day today. So brown bag some hummus and strawberries and you got it all covered. International Red Sneakers Day. Not any sneakers day. It is Red Sneakers Day. National Notebook Day. National Rescue Dog Day today. It is Weights and Measures Day. You planning a party? <laughs> I am, but not until the weekend. It's so hard when it the, the day actually falls during the week. So... Weights and Measures Day today, but you're probably celebrating over the weekend. I understand. It is World B Day, and it is Global Accessibility Awareness Day. And that is significant uh, because coming up a little bit later on, we'll talk about uh, digital accessibility for ind- individuals with special needs is uh, working and shopping and learning continues the rapid transition to the online universe uh, is digital accessibility something that uh, we've thought enough about and that is coming up here a little bit later on in the program so uh, there is that mention that it is global accessibility awareness day today so it looks like americans will soon be able to visit europe again very soon the EU, the European Union, agreed yesterday to reopen its borders to travelers who have been fully vaccinated against the coronavirus and those coming from countries that are considered safe because of their virus situation and their status. News comes just ahead of the summer travel season after EU nations have mostly barred visitors for more than a year during the pandemic. According to the New York Times, the new rules are set to become formal policy next week and depending on the country could be put in place immediately. Now, individual nations within the European Union will still be able to make some changes for a more conservative approach, such as continuing to require quarantines for some visitors and the overall EU will keep the option of quickly putting more restrictive travel rules back in place if something happens uh, like new variants start to drive more infections or or what have you. But if you are hoping to travel overseas, you put a put off that uh, dream European vacation. It looks like very soon you'll be able to uh, reschedule that. So, by the way, speaking of uh, travel, uh, as more and more people get vaccinated, some travel uh, pandemic related uh, restrictions have been lifted this summer is giving people a unique opportunity as many office workers are still working remotely around the country and with kids going to be done with school soon and mom and dad able to work from anywhere. You see where we're going with this. Airbnb uh, says it has continued to see an increase in long-term bookings. Last year, it found that 60% of people Booking long-term stays were working or studying while they were traveling. Used to be that long-term stays—three weeks, four weeks—you know, a month or more, sometimes even two months—at a time—were uh, retirees who were looking for an extended stay, and you know, didn't have a didn't have a clock they had to worry about. Well, now, since people can work from virtually anywhere. That's exactly what they're doing. Airbnb says a 60% of people looking for longer-term stays were working or studying while they were, uh, while they were traveling. Uh, the company that owns Kayak, Booking, and Priceline.com has seen a similar trend. Some companies have even added a new option that could make remote vacations the norm. They're calling them vaccinations. <laughs> because once you've been vaccinated, you can travel. You don't have to worry about it. The kids are out of school. Um, some companies have even added a new option that could make remote vacations the norm. Google, for example, is giving workers up to four weeks of work from anywhere time a year after their workers return to their on-person or on, uh, in-person campus uh, in September. So, and I don't think this would be, I mean, this would be above and beyond the normal vacation time, or I can see a lot of companies doing this. Would you, let's say that your company gives you, let's say three weeks of vacation time or paid time off a year, right? Three weeks. Um, Just to throw that out here as an example. Let's say that your company normally gives you three weeks of, of uh, vacation time. What if they came to you and said, tell you what, we will give you two weeks of vacation time. In exchange for giving up that one week, we'll give you an additional three weeks of work from anywhere time. Or you can go off for three weeks as long as you, you know, spend five, six hours a day working remotely from whatever place that you go to. Would you would you go for that? I think I might. I think that might be uh, a, a reasonable exchange. Um, and then there are the companies that moving forward have talked about allowing employees to determine their own work schedule uh, between in-person and remote working. And for those folks, will those companies care if you are working from home for a week or two straight whether you are actually at home or if you're somewhere else entirely i mean if you're not going to be in the office as long as you're working does it matter wait i don't know these are all interesting questions that will have to be sorted out by human resources and uh it departments and and all of that moving forward as we get past all of this in a new normal but i thought it was kind of interesting Uh, Let's see what else is uh, going on here. Among the first things you need to know this morning, the most interesting and buzzworthy story, seems like everyone you know has an Amazon Ring doorbell camera. Do you have one of those video doorbells? Uh, We have one at our house. And uh, Lauren Bridges is a Ph.D. candidate at the University of Pennsylvania, says that one in ten police departments across the U.S. She's looked into this. One in ten police departments. In the country, have access to video from the civilian camera network. After Ring, the company partnered with more than 1,800 local law enforcement agencies. Said it is rather concerning that the police are able to request videos from members of the public without a warrant, uh, which she says is deliberately circumnavigating the Fourth Amendment. Her data shows that in, in 2020 alone, last year alone, law enforcement agencies filed 22,337 individual requests for Ring doorbell videos. The Electronic Frontier Foundation, a nonprofit dedicated to defending civil liberties in the digital world, has even started petitions calling on Ring to end its partnerships with law enforcement agencies. Uh, Amazon, owner of the uh, Ring company, says that owners of the Ring doorbells are in full control of their footage and whether they decide to share it or not. But uh, I think you have to change some of the settings and, and all of that. But uh, kind of interesting. Uh, they say it is the largest surveillance network in the world. Uh, this network of Ring doorbell cameras that will be everywhere. Big Brother is watching us after all. And it's through our doorbell cameras. No. Yeah. And this is kind of interesting. Uh, One of those things to chew on, to think about, to get your day started. The number of divorces had been rising in China in recent years, but they have now started to fall after that country put in a mandatory cooling off period for married couples seeking to split up. And I bring this up because there is... Some evidence to suggest that after a year of lockdowns and quarantines and all of that, that the divorce rate in this country is about to spike. They've seen an upward trend and that we're spending so much time for our spouses, we realize we can't stand each other and uh, people want out of their marriages. Well, under the new requirement in China that was implemented the first of this year, couples filing for divorce must wait 30 days After submitting their application, during which time either party can withdraw the petition without penalty, they must then apply again after the month is over for the divorce to be granted. Data released by China's Ministry of Affairs shows that the number of divorces as a result of this has fallen by more than 70% since the first of the year when these uh, requirements went into effect. At the time of its implementation, the requirement was widely criticized, with opponents saying it restricts personal freedoms and could trap people in marriages that are unhappy or even violent. And certainly there is that, although I'm not sure that China really cares whether it restricts personal freedoms, but you get the idea. There are, China's not the only country doing this, just the latest. Uh, Other countries that also have cooling off periods for people or for couples seeking a divorce include France which makes them wait two weeks, and in the UK, which has a six-week waiting period or cooling-off period. So, kind of interesting. I've, you know, a lot of people say that it is just too, they. What is it in this country? Uh, half the marriages end in divorce, and they say it's too easy to get divorced, and this is a, an idea that... Um, I often wonder, is it too easy to get divorced or is it too easy to get married in the first place? Anyway, there's something to think about there, Uh, something to chew on some of those interesting and buzzworthy
1: stories to get your Thursday morning started. WFIN News, I'm Matt Demchek. The WTOL 11 first alert forecast, partly sunny today with a high of 86, partly cloudy tonight, low of 64. The seven men indicted last month in the alleged fraternity hazing death of BGSU student Stone Fultz made their first court appearance. Their charges range from first-degree felony manslaughter to reckless homicide and hazing. All entered a plea of not guilty. Fultz's parents were also present at the hearing. Fultz, a sophomore at BGSU, attended a Pi Kappa Alpha event on March 4th, where prosecutors say he was forced to consume alcohol, and he died three days later. And Fultz's death in March is bringing renewed attention to another college student's death and the bill named after him that has languished in the Ohio State House.
2: Colin Wyant of Dublin died in
0: 2018 after an alleged hazing incident at an Ohio University fraternity. Ever since, Wyant's parents have been pushing for stricter hazing laws. In March, two state senators reintroduced Colin's law to the Ohio General Assembly days after Stonefold's death. The bill expands the definition of hazing, makes the punishments for it harsher, and requires more education on the dangers of hazing for both parents and students.
1: That's ONN's Karina Nova reporting. A neat project for 6th graders at Donnell Middle School who use their math skills to create a mini golf course.
3: Fun way to kind of review a little bit of everything that they've learned this year and kind of get some hands-on, you know, project-based
1: learning as well. Teacher Jillian Prince says the students did all the math calculations to figure out the area, width, length, and perimeter of their courses as well as calculating the mean and average of the par on their course. Get more on our website. Cooper Tire and Rubber Company has been recognized by an advocacy campaign that seeks gender balance and diversity on corporate boards. 50-50 Women on Boards has recognized Cooper Tire for having three or more women on its board of directors. John J. Holland, chairman of the Cooper Board of Directors, says the company is focused on offering a diverse and inclusive environment, and that starts at the top. Get more on our website. And get more news online anytime at WFIN.com.
0: Well, if you follow technology news at all, you probably already know that the Google I.O. Developers Conference is happening this week and joining us this morning with a recap of some of the highlights from the event is Google's Molly Vandenberg and Molly, lots of Google goodies to uh, talk about here. And this year, pretty much everything can be category uh, categorized under the themes of helpfulness, innovation, and or privacy and security. Talk about the significance of those three uh, overarching umbrellas, if you will.
2: That's correct. And at Google, we're constantly innovating and thinking about how we can make our products and tools even more helpful to people. And of course, privacy and security is not only top of mind for our users, but for us as well. So we definitely see those three themes come to light. Within helpfulness, we think about the products that people use every day and how we're able to continue to evolve them and bring new features. So a couple of things in that area are workspace products, Google Docs, Sheets, Slides, Meets. A lot of us have gotten very comfortable with using them over the past year and a half, Mm -hmm. especially with so many of us working from home. And so... Those products were originally designed to help people collaborate. And now we're thinking about what is the next evolution of that collaboration. And so that's what we're calling Smart Canvas. And what's great about this is it's going to be a series of different additions to the tools that are going to help people work even more closely together. So you can think about things like templates for different meeting notes or for brainstorming, or you can make a checklist and assign people different tasks. So we're really excited to continue to bring that in. And then also things like Google Maps. It's a very familiar product to a lot of people, but we always want to make it better. And so one thing that we're really looking at there is how we can route you even more smoothly and more safely. We're using artificial intelligence to determine where there might be a lot of heartbreaking braking incidents, like a confusing sign or a complicated intersection. And of course, that means that an accident is more likely. So we're trying to identify what those points are, so we can route you around them, so that way you can have a safer hmm. drive.
0: Hmm. Uh, you mentioned the uh, things that, that that we have all come to rely on over the past year and the way we uh, interact with technology in many respects has changed over the past year by the pandemic uh again as people who follow this stuff already know chromebooks became one of the hottest selling products of the year uh this past year for students learning from home and for adults working from home as well the uh, chrome operating system has really come into its own and become a significant player in the marketplace what is the uh, future uh Of those devices that uh, suddenly a lot of people uh, put their hands on this past year, maybe for the first time?
2: It really has. As you mentioned, so many people were using them to be able to go to school and go to work, and it became really critical. And I think with those products, of course, we're always thinking about the hardware elements to it, but we're continuing to think about the software. And as you mentioned, Chrome OS is an operating system, and also the fact that it does use those cloud based tools that I was mentioning through Workspace, and so a lot of the ways that we make Chromebooks better is by making those tools better, and so another great improvement that we're thinking about there, as we know, we've been spending so much time on video calls, and so Sometimes you're working on a document and you realize that you need to be in a meeting. And so we're bringing Google Meet, our video conference product, to be even closer to that experience. That way, if you're working on a document with other people, you can start a meeting right from that document. Or Hmm. similarly, you'll be able to project the document right into the meeting. So it's a lot about removing that friction. Uh, I think a lot of us, I know I personally, know the problem of having too many tabs open and trying to find this link and that link. So as we know that many people have been using Chromebooks and other tools, we're really trying to make these software level improvements to how they work. So that way it's, much richer and much more seamless
0: for people that really brings up a a good point in the past this event has been highlighted by the introduction of new hardware as you were related, relating to earlier and i'm told that there was really very little of that this year uh that the uh, most exciting announcements as you were alluding to are about uh the integration of uh, various tools and updates to existing products
2: that is correct. That's where the bulk of our announcements from yesterday kind of fit into. But I will say that one thing that we're really excited about that appeared in this year's keynote is that FitFit is now a part of the Google family. And so, of course, we're going to be working with that team to think about how we can bring the best of what Fitbit does with fitness trackers into future products. But they also have a new fitness tracker on the market that I really love. It's called the Fitbit Lux. And what I think is really unique about it is that it's a very fashion-forward fitness tracker. So if you have someone that's really outfit-conscious, it blends in really well with jewelry, and there are different accessories where you can switch up the band. And it's wonderful because it's not only going to encourage you to move more, but it's also a great tool for managing your holistic well-being, and that's managing stress or getting better sleep. I know it's top of mind for a ton of people, especially as people are looking to get outside a little bit more, get moving again. And so these sorts of tools can be really useful in that environment.
0: You referenced AI earlier, and some of the more interesting announcements and developments are in the area of artificial intelligence, which, of course, as you were alluding to, powers much of what Google already does and will be even more critical in the future. What is the future of AI?
2: There are so many different things that we're looking into that involve artificial intelligence and a more forward looking project actually has to do with health. And I think that this is really cool. It's an AI powered dermatology assistive tool. And what that means is that while it's not available for consumers quite yet, we know that people come to Google all the time with questions about their health. And so skin conditions are one area that's really common and we see a lot of questions. So we're thinking about how we can, build different tools to get people more authoritative information. With this, you'd be able to take a couple of photos of an area that you were concerned about. And using AI, we would be able to reference a database of different conditions that it could be. So we can surface that dermatologist reviewed information for you. And then that way, when you go to talk to your provider, who will ultimately make the diagnosis, you know the right questions to ask and you have that informed knowledge about your health and well-being and we know that so many people have been looking for that all the time but really especially over the past year and a half
0: google io is all about the technology that is right around the corner and then looking ahead uh, further into the future at what may come down the road as well and let me ask you real quickly about privacy and security again one of those overarching umbrellas one of the themes uh, of uh, google io this year because certainly privacy and security is at the top of everyone's mind right now given what we recently saw with the colonial pipeline hack solar winds and such obviously google stores and manages an awful lot of data about every single one of us what do you want people to think about when they think of google and privacy and security
2: it is paramount to us and it's something that we like to say that our products are secure by default and private by design and what we mean by that is we really want to make sure that we're taking care of the security without you even having to worry about it. But we also want to give people control over their privacy settings. so That way they can choose what's right for them and they know what's happening. And so we're always thinking about how we can, announce more features that are easy to use and help people stay safer online. One that we announced yesterday that I really like is coming to our password manager. Password managers in general are one of the best tips for protecting your online information because they're so hard to keep track of. I know I can't remember half of my <laughs> passwords, so this does the work for you and suggests strong passwords. But what's new about it is that Not only will it alert you if you, if it feels like it has a password that's been in a data breach that's, you know, publicly accessible information, but with certain apps and websites, you'll actually be able to just click a button with the Google Assistant logo on it, and it will change that password that was compromised for you. So you don't have to go through the cumbersome process of going to that website and checking your email and phishing it out. So it's those sorts of things that we wanna do to empower users to be engaged with their online security and really take control of it
0: google tech expert molly vandenberg with us this morning some of the highlights from this week's io developers conference where do folks learn more about all of this we're talking about
2: you can learn more about the conference itself at g.co slash io and our blog at blog.google is an excellent resource as well for more information about these announcements
0: Well, we're talking about technology uh, this morning, all things technology. And a new Harris survey commissioned by the University of Phoenix finds that nearly half of employed adults have asked their employer for some type of accommodation due to disability. And as this relates to technology, as workplaces more and more become digital workplaces, what that means is that digital accessibility is becoming more and more critical. Kelly Herman is the Vice President of Accessibility, Equity, and Inclusion for the University of Phoenix. And Kelly, so what you're saying here uh, with this survey is that just like ramps and braille signs and Audible pedestrian systems, these kind of things uh, help people with disabilities navigate the physical world. We need to incorporate accessible design into the things we do in the digital world. That's basically the long and short of it here, right?
3: Absolutely. And I think, you know, when you think about it, you know, so much of what we do is moved online and we no longer live in a world where we use paper. So, you know, the majority of what we write and what we send is digital. We're, you know, constantly connected to our devices, you know, sometimes on a computer, but more often on a phone. And so we want to, you know, be sure that, you know, when you're thinking about that content, that we're not leaving individuals with disabilities behind. And so digital accessibility means that those with a disability have equal access to that information and the same opportunity. to produce and share their content as well. And so there are things that businesses and educators need to do to ensure that they're offering proper software tools and formatting their content so that we can remove those barriers for individuals with disabilities and allow them to access the content and fully participate.
0: Here's the thing, though. As we know, it has taken decades for those physical accommodations to become commonplace, some of the ones we were just uh, mentioning. We are moving toward a digital existence at such a rapid uh, pace that we don't have that kind of time uh, in order to make these things a reality in the digital space.
3: Right. And, and that's really true. And I think, you know, the one thing that I love about technology and, and I've been you know doing this with online courses for a really long time is that technology has that opportunity to be a great equalizer, especially for individuals with disabilities. There are certain things that by moving our courses online, a student with a disability who has difficulty getting transportation or might use a wheelchair and, and not have, you know, reliable transportation no, now doesn't have to come to campus three days a week, you know, for an hour at a time, but can log into a course and actually, you know, fully participate and be able to get the content from their own home and in an environment that is set up for them. And so it's one of those things where it's like some in some ways the technology is making it easier because it's removing some of the barriers to where we had to be thinking about physical, you know a space in terms of ramps and elevators and taking that consideration out, but then putting up new barriers in terms of, you know, someone has a, a great idea, they do a video, but there's no captions on it. So someone who can't hear the the audio can't get access to that video. So there are ways of when it makes it better. And then there's ways where we have some opportunities to kind of be a little bit more intentional as we're creating that content.
0: You do bring up a good point that technology should be uh, the great equalizer here, but just as uh, it took... Uh, So many years for those physical accommodations to become commonplace. It also took a federal law, the Americans with Disabilities Act, to not only force some of those changes that are common today, but even to get people to recognize the need, which leads to the question, is there even a widespread recognition of the need for this in the digital world?
3: I think it's getting better. So um, May 20th, the third Thursday in, in May, this year happens to be May 20th, is Global Accessibility Awareness Day. And this is the 10th year that, that we're celebrating that. And it came... the day started because there were web developers who realized, you know, hey, people aren't aware enough that this has to happen, that, you know, the work that we do, we need to embed accessibility into it so that everyone can participate. So we still have a, a quite a ways to go. I think a lot of times organizations look to the federal law and policy to tell them what to do. And what the Americans with Disabilities Act tells us is that it has to be accessible, but it's not going to give you a step-by-step playbook of this is what you need to do when in order to make sure that those, di- you know, digital content content and resources are accessible. But what's interesting and what I hope organizations take away from this and and also your listeners is that in our survey, 82% of American adults see disability as an aspect of diversity. And so when we think about disability as diversity and not just something that we need to fix, then it becomes a little bit easier to, you know, make the logical leap in where are those barriers that we have, you know, to full participation and how can we remove them? How do we set up our environments and our, you know, development cycles of our digital content to embed disability and accessibility considerations all the way throughout it from concepts all the way through execution and implementation
0: so then how do companies and or organizations uh ensure that they are uh meeting the needs of not only their employees But also their customers, because, uh, again, we started off talking about how, uh, you know, the the need for accommodations in the workplace. But this obviously for businesses, organizations and so on uh, is about reaching customers with those same needs as well. So how do companies uh, ensure that they are meeting all of those needs on both the employee and the consumer side?
3: Yeah, and that's a great question. And I think the first step is taking stock of where you are. You know, organizations need to remember that accessibility is a journey. It's not a destination. We're not going to reach some state of nirvana where we no longer have to, you know, deal with this or address this or, or make some you know, proactive steps you remove barriers. But taking stock of where you are is going to give you a roadmap of where you need to go to get started and how you can build this into your processes so it's not an add-on. We talk about a lot that when you bake accessibility into your processes, you get a better product. All of us have the experience, you know, as you were talking about, how long it takes to build a ramp when it hasn't been considered as part of the architectural plan in the beginning. But when you build it in, it becomes part of the aesthetic and part of the design. That's the exact same thing you want to do with digital content. But there are three things that organizations can do and Your listeners can do now with the content that they're creating. First, be careful of your use of color and text. Colors should not be the only way that you communicate meaning, and there should be enough contrast between the color of the text and the background to be sure that it can be read easily. Also, when you're working with images, you know, don't just add a cap- caption to the image, but also add your alternative text description in the image properties. That's where a screen reader is going to, you know, go to describe that image to someone who can't see it. And then also, when you're sharing hyperlinks, don't use a shortcut like "click here. Make your hyperlinks descriptive by using keywords so that when someone who listens to that link and tells their browser to activate it they actually know where that browser is going to take them and which website they're opening
0: again all of this is from the 2021 online accessibility survey uh, commissioned by the university of phoenix uh, are there any other uh, aspects of that survey that particularly stood out for you real quickly that you know would be worth getting folks thinking about
3: Sure. So I think one of the, the surprising things was that we more of our respondents told us that they had or have um, in the past had a disability than we were expecting. We saw about one in three reporting that. And as we were expecting, though, most of our respondents were saying, you know, because of the pandemic and, and you know, the reaction to COVID-19, they're, they've they moved a lot of their activities online. And so they, they have an expectation that organizations and companies are going to take the steps that are necessary to ensure that all customers and consumers, regardless of their disability, are going to be able to access that
0: information. Again, Kelly Herman is the Vice President of Accessibility, Equity and Inclusion for the University of Phoenix. We appreciate your time uh, in joining us uh, this morning. And before we cut you loose real quickly, where can folks uh, learn more about the uh, survey that we referenced and uh, see some of those data points themselves?
3: Sure, so you can head on over to phoenix.edu, click on our news link at the top of the page and you'll see some press releases and additional information about the survey, as well as an event that we're sponsoring and hosting for Global Accessibility Awareness Day that's free and open to the public.
0: This morning's Throwback Thursday is on the subject of preventing summer slide because for most area students, final day of school is coming up next week But while summer vacation does provide the mental break that children need, research has found that students lose the equivalent of two months of learning from the previous school year over the course of summer vacation. And if there was ever a time that kids cannot afford that, it would be right now because of all of the challenges of remote learning over the past year and a half have left many students behind where they really should be to begin with. Back in May of 2019, we spoke with Nathan Hemmelgarn of Carson DeLosa Educational Publishing about some proactive ways that parents can help prevent the summer slide or that summer brain drain. It is today's Throwback Thursday. Teachers uh, tell us all the time that they will spend that first month of the next school year reviewing all of that forgotten information from last school year.
4: Yeah, up to 85% of teachers are coming back and saying they're spending four weeks reviewing what the students had forgotten over the summer from the previous year. Um, so I think that, uh, in addition to the loss of uh, two months um, of learning over the summer, is really key to driving home that summer learning loss is one a concern that every that teachers and parents have, but two is completely solvable by just spending a little bit of time and in integrating education and learning over the summer um, with your child.
0: And and this summer slide, uh, I understand, is particularly acute. The research shows is particularly acute in a couple of specific subjects, being math and spelling.
4: On a on a year basis, it, it does kind of fall into math and spelling. But then, if you go into sixth grade. Um, the reading skills can fall back as far as two years. So it's really, it's more of a holistic education thing, but it's just finding ways to engage your child in those, in those particular learning things. And it's, it's as easy as finding what are they interested in and taking that one point of interest and pivoting off of
0: that. And the key is in making that fun obviously because most kids are not going to respond very well. Most kids I know uh, aren't going to respond very well to the idea of learning lessons in the summer no matter how we try and dress it up.
4: Sure. I mean, I think, you know, uh, my daughter's 11, and the first thing is like I'm going to sleep in, and I'm going to hang out, and it's just <laughs> going to be kind of fun, right? I don't have to. I'm not in school, so I don't have to do school. But I think there's ways of not only integrating those um, those particular learning moments within your day, but then also just you know even a more structured way of talking about and covering all those skills that they did. Because as a parent, you may not know exactly how far you know are they talking about mixed fractions now in math, and I need to help review that. I may not even remember how to handle mixed fractions. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we at Carson DeLosa have created Summer Bridge Activities that is nine titles that span the summers between um, just before kindergarten all the way up to the summer before eighth grade. And the way that it works is it's 15 minutes a day that just ties in review of what the students learned in math, language arts, science, and social studies, and as they go through that summer, they start touching on the skills that they're going to learn next year. So not only are they gaining and remembering and not falling victim to the summer slide, but they're also gaining that confidence. So when they come into school that next year, and not only are they like, yep, I'm ready for this, but when they start seeing those new skills, they're like, ah, I know it. But it's 15 minutes a day. We know that kids want to be outside, and the last thing they want to do is sit and do a workbook. So it's small, it's bite-sized, It helps a parent who's not necessarily sure what needs to happen. It covers all those bases, right? So they don't have to worry about necessarily what they learn in science or social studies and make sure those things are covered because they are. But in addition to that, the series says, okay, let's talk about physical fitness. Let's get outside and do some fun things. Let's Mm. do some goal setting and some character development and some healthy eating and kind of just tying in that whole Learning of is beyond just what's in your mind, but also your body as well.
0: Yeah, I think that's the key that we're talking about here is, and you were touching on it, tying this into the interests that your kids have naturally. And how many times do we hear it that the best learning is that hands-on learning? And, boy, the summer provides all kinds of opportunities for that.
4: Yeah, I mean, it can come down to... You know, if they like dinosaurs, you find a place to go look for dinosaur bones um, or, you know, traveling and looking at going mm-hmm. to different museums or going to the library or even go to the grocery store and start talking about, you know, what does that involve and where does that education either be from a budget to what's on sale to what does this look like or feel like and how are these grapes different than another? Like, you can involve learning throughout all the ages depending on where they are, and it's it's just it's just that part of that communication, and really just thinking about it a little bit differently. It's making
0: a conscious effort to do this, and obviously, uh, like we said, like, well, we know that our kids need the break to recharge and reset. We can't let their brains completely shut down, and that's basically what we're trying to avoid here. Yep. Let me ask you about this too, because along these uh, along these same lines, you've been involved in the education business for uh, for a long time, uh, and have been working uh, with this with all of this summer slide uh, concern and it's kind of interesting the statistics that I saw here in front of me it says by ninth grade that summer learning loss can be blamed for two-thirds roughly two-thirds of the achievement gap with so much concern about the U.S. falling behind some have suggested that maybe it's time to look at shorter breaks or maybe even eliminating the summer break entirely
4: um, I don't know honestly if I have an opinion on that I think you know one of the keys is learning is everywhere and learning happens at all the time Mm -hmm. so just because they're not in the classroom on a day-to-day basis doesn't mean that the students should stop learning or that um you can't involve them or have learning opportunities throughout that so even if it comes down to a trip or something that you're doing during the day or involving your child in like hey i've got to travel for work or you know, we've got to get you and your sister from here to here. Like it's just involving that learning and and really engaging with them on a on a slightly different level and thinking about it a little bit differently. That will help support all of that.
0: Basically, again, the message being we have to make that deliberate, uh, concerted effort uh, as parents uh, to make sure we are reinforcing that. Which again is a, a familiar message uh, that uh, schools have been trying to impress upon parents for a long time.
4: Yes, and I think it's also important to note that it does. It's not. You're not trying to replace school, so we're not trying to figure out, okay, how do I, you know, they're in class for seven hours a day, so right. I need to then replicate that during the day <laughs> right. over the summer. It's really not that. It's 15 minutes a day. It can be a any combination of whatever you want to, from our Summer Bridge activity books to working on a, a summer reading list challenge to, you know, talking about uh, – different athletes that you've seen out there and maybe you can sure. go outside and create a whole training plan to do something along the same lines that they would do like yeah. really just thinking about it a different way and just making sure you have those touch points throughout the
0: day from may of 2019 our conversation with nathan hemelgarn of carson delusa educational publishing about proactive ways parents can help prevent the summer slide today's throwback thursday we've got a link up for more information good mornings.net.
4: we interrupt this program to bring you a
0: broken news alert this update to the odd and unusual side of the news brought to you as a public service more or less of hancock county Veterans services you remember the story a couple of weeks ago about the guy who's driving down the highway in the back seat of his tesla with uh, on autopilot mode and uh, here's another uh, Tesla driver behaving badly in Illinois on Sunday. a Thirty eight year old man was pulled over as he was sleeping behind the wheel. A deputy saw him sleeping behind the wheel of a Tesla on autopilot. The Kenosha County Sheriff's Department says the deputy followed the car for about two miles with the squad cars, lights and sirens activated before the driver woke up and realized he was getting pulled over. <laughs> two miles this went on before he got him to wake up in body cam footage deputies can be seen going back and forth with a driver who claims that he admitted he was tired but claimed he was not sleeping deputies issued a dri- uh, citation to the driver for inattentive driving and ordered the tesla to be towed from the scene claiming the driver was unable to operate the vehicle he was so tired uh they also say the uh, driver had two prior incidents in which Uh, drivers uh, on the interstate called authorities after observing him sleeping behind the wheel back in February and August of last year. So it's not the first time he's done this. What was it? The guy uh, and I can't even remember where it was who was in the back seat of his Tesla said he would continue to do it because autonomous cars are the future. (laughs) Here again, the key word in that phrase, future. They're not here now. Anyway, by the way, uh, I saw this on the Newswire, which I thought was kind of interesting. Speaking of cars, uh, some drivers are now creating mini garden beds inside their vehicles. I guess this is a trend now. Have you noticed this? Uh, some are using their dashboards filled with dirt, others are planting, they're filling dirt in the in the cup holders and planting like uh, succulents. Um, Stuff that can can take high temperatures, don't need a lot of water. Cacti, in other words, are very popular in these makeshift planting areas, mini gardens inside the vehicle, which others point out is not necessarily the safest plan. Uh, one person wrote online uh, to a picture of someone's uh, cactus garden in their car. Imagine getting into an accident and the first thing you see flying at you is a cactus instead of your airbag. So yeah, that doesn't seem very smart. Anyway, just thought I'd pass that along. Kind of interesting. Elsewhere in the broken news this morning, uh, here's the thing. Uh, the thing about staying in a hotel is that everyone knows exactly which room you stayed in. And they know who stayed in each room. The hotel does. A man who had been staying at the Driscoll Hotel in downtown Austin, Texas, is now accused of setting a fire in his room before checking out and hopping on a flight. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's what I always do when I uh, check out of a hotel room. I go through, make sure that I've got all my stuff, light a fire, and then leave. Yeah, this happened on Monday... The Austin Fire Department says the small fire happened in a closet on the 10th floor and was put out by the fire sprinkler, but it caused about $5,000 in damage. Police say 77 year old William Nicholas was arrested once his flight landed in nearby Houston. He faces a felony count of arson. Why he did it doesn't say. (laughs) Didn't he think, didn't he stop to realize that the hotel knows who was staying in that room? That's. Real bright. Speaking of uh, Houston, a man in Houston, Texas taken into custody on Tuesday after a failed attempt to break into and or steal a Ford van. Uh, The uh, theft, the attempt of theft was uh, thwarted by the owner of the van uh, who saw the thief and laid him out, laid him out. Here's the thing. Uh, And Let this be a lesson to you. If you're considering a life in crime, if you're going to steal vehicles, you probably should know who the owner of the vehicles uh, is. Because in this case, uh, the guy who was trying to steal the van didn't realize the van was owned by MMA heavyweight Derek Lewis, (laughs) mixed martial arts fighter. (laughs) When he saw the guy trying to steal his van, he laid him out. The whole fiasco uh, was a one-two punch for this thwarted thief. Uh, starting with having been caught by one of the sports, uh, one of the uh, sports knockout record holders, <laughs> and then culminating in his arrest, in a now deleted Instagram post, uh, Derek, Lewis, Derek Lewis mentioned the break-in attempt and more or less said he had handled the thief before police arrived. He made sure to note that the thief was in fact okay after the scuffle medically. Uh, the uh, van, however. Since sustained some damage from the failed break-in attempt. (laughs) No, know whose vehicle you're stealing before you try it. Just a word of advice. And uh, how about this? Uh, a, A story in the broken news with a happy ending. This is all kinds of awesome. A South Carolina school bus driver is crediting his 18 kindergarten passengers for thwarting an armed hijacking. Kenneth Corbin tells Good Morning America that the kid's curiosity enabled him to hold off the gunman. And what they said to the man is what helped him helped keep them safe until police could arrive. Uh, at the end, when they started questioning him, it seems to have frustrated him because his main objective was to get to the next town. But I think we were only on the road for about four miles and he just got frustrated with all the questions and just told me to stop the bus and get off. <laughs> This was in the news a couple of weeks ago. The guy who uh, uh, hijacked that bus, uh, police say uh, Jovan Calazzo, a 23-year-old trainee from New Jersey in his third week at Fort Jackson, was trying to get home. He remains in custody, facing two dozen charges, including 19 counts of kidnapping. The uh, bus driver says, as we were traveling, I guess he realized that there were several students on the bus kind of scattered throughout. He decided to move all the students up front so he could keep us all in close proximity. And when he did that, Uh, some of the kindergartners started asking questions, (laughs) as kids will do. Uh, The students, according to uh, Mr. Corbin, asked if the man was a soldier, to which he hesitantly answered yes. They asked him, why are you doing this, to which he didn't have an answer. They asked, was he going to hurt them? He said no. They asked, are you going to hurt our bus driver? He said no. But at that point, he said, I'm going to get you off this bus. (laughs) He sensed more questions were coming, and I guess something clicked in his mind. And he said, "Is en- enough is enough. Uh, he said, stop the bus and uh, get off. So <laughs> it was the kindergartners and their inquisitive nature that uh, ultimately saved them from harm. There you go. That is uh, today's broken news report. This update on the odd and unusual side of the news brought to you as a public service, more or less.
4: Them, online at WFIN.com and
0: on your smartphone, tablet, and Alexa devices. Time now for our daily download, the numbers behind the news, the statistics that shape our lives. Uh, you know that it is uh, fairly common among young couples to uh, get a pet as sort of a trial run or being uh, parents. Uh, at least a lot of times that's what uh, young couples think. Oh, we'll get a pet and uh, that'll be uh, you know our... our a training ground for becoming parents and according to a new study one in three people do believe that their pet will make them a better parent someday certainly pet ownership can come with a lot of anxieties and expenses just as child rearing does for example the typical pet owner spends 176 dollars on initial supplies and adoption fees to bring their furry friend home uh, which is much cheaper than having a child but bear with us here uh, after that, on top of the initial fees and additional costs, initial uh, costs, pet parents spend an average of hundred eleven dollars every month to care for their pet, and you do the math. That's that adds up to thirteen thousand three hundred twenty dollars over the course of ten years. I bet you never thought that your pet was costing you that much money. Thirteen grand over the course of a decade which is the average lifespan of most dogs and cats meanwhile over 45 percent in the poll say they actively worry that their pet might get sick or hurt uh, which is not that much different than parenting a child but this is where uh it 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 changes and and this is where it gets concerning survey conducted by one poll and commissioned by AskVet.com finds that pet parents are surprisingly hesitant to pay for their companion's related medical bills. 90% of those in the poll will call their veterinarian when their pet displays some kind of odd or unusual behavior, but only 79% will actually schedule an appointment to visit the vet. In fact, almost one quarter of all respondents, 24%, say they don't take their pets to the vet unless they know for sure something is wrong. Overall, millennials between the ages of 25 and 40 wait the longest to call a vet when something seems wrong, waiting an average of nine days before seeking help. For comparison, pet owners in the Generation Z age range, 18 to 24-year-olds, and Generation X, those between age 45 and 56, wait six days, and baby boomers with pets, those are ages 57 plus, wait only three days before calling a vet so if you are the moral of the story if you are using your pet as a trial run to be a parent and if you're waiting nine days like a week and a half (laughs) before calling the doctor uh before you know when something seems wrong you got to pick up your game a little bit if you're going to (laughs) be a parent you want to call a little quicker than that with your kids so just a word of advice there you really want to make a difference in people's lives and i think we all uh, would love to uh, think that we are making a difference uh, a positive difference in in the lives of others the red cross is recruiting volunteers for emergency response in the community todd james the north central ohio chapter of the american red cross with us this morning todd thanks very much for dropping by. hey chris thank you it's good to see you um, Obviously, there are all kinds of uh, things that volunteers, Red Cross volunteers, uh, will do within the community, uh, even across the country. Sure, I mean, you uh, you, and others, uh, the uh, Red Cross, have been called out to uh, disasters uh, all over the country. Uh, The fact is the Red Cross would not be able
5: to function without volunteers. Oh, without volunteers, there would be no Red Cross. I mean, over 90 percent of the things, you know, the work that we do in the community is all volunteers. Yeah. Uh, An amazing group of volunteers we have here in the North Central Ohio chapter and across the country as a whole. Um, And really, uh, as you mentioned, you know, when it comes to the disaster response, uh, it's the volunteers who are making it happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, we we are there for the big ones, and, and that's what people think about when you think about the Red Cross and disaster. The ones you see are the earthquakes and the wildfires, and mm-hmm. you know the big things. I, I've I've had the the opportunity to join several of those. Um, you know, I've been out there and working with the volunteers on the big things. But the number one disaster we respond to by far more than anything else. Our local family home fires and other disasters right, right. here in the community right um, and, and we have to have volunteers who are trained and ready to respond when that happens
0: so what is involved uh, in uh, the volunteer work uh, in, in- that type of situation
5: sure well number one it is a commitment i mean there you know and if you're looking for a a volunteer opportunity that's not maybe as involved that maybe is only a few hours a month we've got those too whether it's installing smoke alarms in somebody's home or teaching uh teaching adults or kids how to be prepared for emergencies we need volunteers in all of those areas working Mm -hmm. at blood drives helping our military families all of that so we'd love to talk to you about it in terms of the disaster responders there is several hours of training that everybody goes through you you have to be trained right because it's not just being there right when the disaster happens and and giving the help the financial aid for those first few days which is you know our goal we we make sure that the immediate needs of the folks that have been affected by the disaster are taken care of so they don't have to worry about it. They know they've got a place to stay. They've got some money for food to get a couple of days worth of clothing and the prescriptions they lost. We're going to help them get all of those immediate needs taken care of. Mm -hmm. Uh, But then our, our responders are trained on the recovery process also. So we stay with the families and we help them step by step and we work with our partners in the community. So there's, you know, training that's involved with that. Most of it is done virtually, some classroom training. Um you know, one of the things I get asked a lot, and I think people um, um, going into it, you know think that if you become a Red Cross disaster volunteer, we're just going to ship you off to California to a wildfire. Right. It's not. It's, yeah. it's up to you. You, you decide I, where you want to go. I was, was going to mention,
0: go. uh, I was gonna mention uh, mm-hmm. volunteers, uh, as we said, have been deployed all over the country. Yeah. Uh, you can, or you can opt out of that uh, part of it. You yeah. don't necessarily have to. Exactly.
5: It's totally up to you at, mm-hmm. at what level in terms of whether it's local or or within right. the state, whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we'll provide whatever training when you go out to those bigger disasters. You know, you you specialize, and and so we provide mm-hmm. specialized training for yeah. what area you want to be in.
0: In, in addition to uh, providing all of the uh, physical needs, uh, volunteers, Red Cross volunteers, are often just a shoulder to
5: cry. You know, that, that is the one thing we haven't been able to do for a while, and, and the thing I think our volunteers miss more than anything mm-hmm. else during the pandemic. We quickly were able to pivot to go to a virtual delivery and to contactless delivery, so we, we never missed a beat in being there when people needed help because home fires and other disasters have yeah. continued um what we couldn't do was hug them yeah you know and and that's the number one thing our volunteers sure uh dispense our hugs and it's what they look forward to so mm-hmm. we're, we're all looking forward to the day when we can start doing that again um been given a lot of virtual hugs over the last year yeah, and a half I, so I
0: um, we mentioned that, uh, obviously, disaster response, uh, there's great need. There's always great need. Yes. And it is uh, one of those things where you can be called out at any time. You need to be comfortable with the phone ringing at 2 o'clock in the morning. You know,
5: if, I I, if I, I tell everybody, um, I try to be honest up front, is there seems to be some unwritten rule in the universe that most house fires don't happen before midnight. Just <laughs> yeah. be aware just of just that. Just is
0: the, so. the way. But it is a tremendous way to uh, volunteer. As you mentioned, and I wanted to uh, get to this, uh, you were uh, mentioning a little bit earlier, if that is not necessarily your cup of tea, if you say, I don't know that I could do that, that's yeah. and, and it isn't for everybody. Um, there are other ways to volunteer as well
5: lots of other ways as I mentioned we need instructors for our preparedness programs Uh, Mm -hmm. we've got two great programs for kids the pillowcase project uh, for third through fifth graders and our brand new one Pedro the penguin for kindergartners through second graders we teach them how to be aware of what emergencies are how Mm -hmm. to be prepared how to help the family build an emergency family kit uh, again, this is a program that has been proven to save lives. I've talked to families whose kids went through it, and were then, you know, a, a, a tornado or a flood came along, and and the kids knew what to do, and and it saved their life. Yeah, uh, it's a great program. Uh, we need volunteers. You know, we're going to hopefully here soon. We're going to be able to start getting back into homes, installing new working smoke alarms as part of our home fire campaign. Yeah. save more lives, like we just saved a life in Arlington. I was
0: going to say, yeah, we uh, just had the uh, story just a few mm-hmm. days ago. I, I, again, we talk about uh, for those who want to make a difference in people's lives, yeah. you talk about uh, you know examples where you've uh, kids have gone through the uh, program and it's made a difference in saving lives. And you know this story uh, in Arlington with the uh, working smoke detector yeah, I, that might
5: not have been there. Yeah, I mean yeah. if if you didn't happen to see the story in the paper, just as part of our home fire campaign, uh, we installed uh, smoke alarms in Ms. Martin's home um and she had a fire a a couple of weeks ago and because the smoke alarms were there she was awakened she got out of the house safely um if those smoke alarms hadn't been there it could have been a much different outcome um and so we're you know we're doing that all the time and that's you take a couple hours a month and and go out and install a few smoke alarms and you've made a huge difference in someone's life
0: so uh plenty of opportunities volunteer opportunities uh with the american red cross whether it is as you said just a couple hours a month or uh, something that could be an ongoing thing and you know if if you're the type of person who say hey you know, use me wherever you need me, <laughs> yep. and I'm, I'm available 24-7. That's great, too. So whatever level uh, you are comfortable with. And how do folks volunteer?
5: Uh, go to redcross.org slash volunteer. Uh, you can email neo volunteer at redcross.org uh, or just give me a call at 419-422-9322. That's our office. We can talk to you. We're on Facebook. We're on Twitter, uh, the North Central Ohio chapter, the Northern Ohio region of the Red Cross. We're easy to find. Um, there are so many ways to reach out to us and, and we'll get back to you right away and talk about what opportunities right for you.
0: And you are always recruiting volunteers but especially right now uh, getting a, a big push I'm assuming you've got uh, training programs coming up. Uh,
5: I'm right? Constantly yeah. doing the training yeah. but yeah we're heading into summer storm season hurricane season's right around the sure. corner yeah. Um, yeah definitely need to talk. Don't to have support. to worry about hurricanes so much here. No but, no not so much here but storms uh, tornadoes again, floods all yeah. of that uh, we're heading into that time of year. Yeah
0: and uh, also uh, real quickly here, i uh, got about 30 seconds or so, um, blood drives. Uh, got to make sure that we remind folks to uh, give blood because I know during the summertime, those uh, donations typically drop.
5: It gets tougher during the summer as people's schedules change, so please go to redcrossblood.org. Still find an hour in your day to save lives because that's what you're doing every time you take that hour. And again, you talk about the hundreds of thousands of volunteers that donate yeah. blood and the time every year. Uh,
0: it's kind, of help a, it's kind of a uh, double whammy we've talked about it before in the in the summertime the uh, number of donations falls off and the propensity the uh, chance for accidents goes up because so many people are traveling yeah. maybe not so much last year but <laughs> definitely this year, definitely uh, this year. Yeah. Uh, people are going to be getting out again so uh, the need is definitely there we've got a link up for more information on our webpage Todd James of the uh, North Central Ohio Chapter of the American Red Cross thanks very much for coming by. thank you sir and that will wrap up our podcast for today I want to thank all of our guests for joining us on the program this morning. Remember, as always, more details about all of the topics that you hear us talk about on the program can be found at our webpage. That is goodmornings.net, our little corner of the world wide web. So check that out. Coming up tomorrow as we wrap up the week. Are you ready to jump in the pool? How to ensure everyone stays safe this summer at both public and backyard swimming pools. Plus, we have more recipes from Kyra's Kitchen and lots of other stuff to do till tomorrow morning that is good mornings for this morning now that you've had a good morning going out and make it a good day Catch you back here tomorrow